Hi, I'm Charlotte and I'm joined by my friend Lauren and this is Demythifying, the podcast where two best friends talk mythology, go off on tangents and hope to bring a little bit more forgotten magic to the world. Today we're joined by Neil and Dustin from Greek Gods and Human Myth Takes. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. So welcome guys all the way from across the Atlantic and I'm a fan of your podcast so I'm so pleased to have you both here and do you want to just introduce yourselves for our listeners really quickly? Sure, I'm Dustin. And I'm Neil. And we are Greek Gods and Human Mistakes. Yep. We just do a little bit of a, a podcast on some of the, the funnier scenes in Greek mythology. Well, today we wanted to talk about Athena after our last episode, which we've just recorded, as she's seen as such an interesting character and you can look at her from many different ways and in different angles. I mean, don't get me wrong, she's interesting compared to Ares, because like you said, they are a yin and yang when it comes to the two sides of war. But she's so much more than just a great strategist, isn't she? Yeah, she's uh, she's got her hand in a lot of different things because she, she's also uh, like weaving and kind of artistry. You know, she's known for that as well. She's yeah, she's jack of all trades, pretty much. Yeah. Trainer of heroes. Yep. She's, uh, yes. Too. This is something right. that we want to explore with you guys today. Just kind of just the awesomeness of Athena. Yeah. <laughs> and what a better way to celebrate double digits of our podcast this is our 10th episode so thanks guys oh, congrats guys. yes yes that's awesome a celebration and i have beer as well to celebrate so it's a bit <laughs> early for you guys i know <laughs> the first question and sort of talking point i have for you is do you think that one of athena's main functions is to be Greek propaganda. So I want to refer to the Theseus episode you guys did or something that you said about him. So we haven't covered any of the heroes yet. So for people who don't know, Theseus was an Athenian hero who went to stop a tribute of sacrifices to King Minos. And you guys think he's created as a kind of Athenian propaganda and that the story of the Minoans in this specific story is kind of a smear campaign, don't you? Well, it is pretty smearing to have a your rival's wife be mounted by a bull and give birth to this monstrosity. I mean, what better way to put someone down and make yourself look more civilized and, you know, (laughs) sophisticated than saying something like that. You know, Athens being the focal point of power through most of, you know, ancient Greece. Yeah, they're uh, so they had control of making most of the myths and kind of dictating where they went. And Yeah. yeah, so they went on a lot of smear campaigns. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think the statistic that I read is 95% of all myths were either written by an Athenian, someone who was traveling through Athens at the time, or someone that they commissioned to write the uh, the myth or the plays or anything like that. So obviously you're going to see a, a huge part of it is going to be the Athenian influence. The, yeah. the it's going to be pro-Athens. Yeah, they, and the fact that Athena is their patron deity proves a little bit further that they're going to make some of these stories a little bit better. She's a little bit more tough to say because she wasn't worshipped just in Greece. You see her statue in Sparta and Thebes and all these other uh, places. So it's tough to say how much is based off of what Athens did, but a large part of the myths um, aren't quite like what Rome does because that's the ones that people typically remember where she has the negative connotations of, you know, Arachne, Medusa, 
those mm-hmm. are all Ovid's tellings. Um, so the Roman influence for the Greeks, they they definitely wanted her to be the more even keel. And you can see it more so from uh, the very first thing that Solon says when he reformed all of their um, their laws was they were um, blessed by Athena. And they focused mostly on the actual birth of Athena through Zeus's head, the Immaculate Conception. So they had to make sure that those the stories show that she is both gifted by Zeus and by default they are. So that's kind of when it first starts, but some of it I'd say yes, but for the most part, I'd say it's just the Greeks liked her a lot. It's almost like um, sports rivalries between, I guess in America, it's the same here, but in England, in London, especially it's my team will say some shit about your team. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. (laughs) Like we're a bit more extreme with that over here. Yeah, that's what I see. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. You ever been to a Chicago Green Bay game? <laughs> no, I haven't. But we had someone, um, one of my friends had someone from America who works for their company and nearly went to a West Ham football game in an Arsenal shirt and couldn't quite understand why no. that's maybe not the best thing to do. <laughs> had to be, have that explained. So <laughs> unless he's maybe just not that big of a sports fan. That could be. <laughs> So from my understanding, Athens as a city was created before writing existed and the myth of Athena and Poseidon came way after Athens was created. So do you think they picked her because she represented wisdom, leadership and civility to be their their patron goddess rather than because they preferred the olive tree to water? And because it's all the things that Athens wanted to portray itself as having. And Pericles also built the Parthenon after the Greco-Persian Wars as a symbol to Athena. Yeah, so etymologically speaking, it's far more likely that Athena got her name from Athens than Athens got their name from Athena. So they definitely picked the goddess that they wanted. And it it does appear that they locked on to, like I said, that Immaculate Conception as the the first basis to that. So they wanted to make sure that they picked a a deity that was going to fit their needs of justice, of um, democracy. And like I said, it all starts with Solon um, and his reformations. So in a nutshell, yeah, they, they formed her and changed her name. They didn't get her namesake. She got theirs. Yeah. And Poseidon doesn't really offer much in the way of like, he's just the kind of the God of the sea. Maybe if you were a very naval or like merchant, you know, sea merchant friendly port, Poseidon might be your go-to, but that's not really what Athens was going for. They were going for more of a, you know, I guess progressive, yeah. if you want to put it that way, kind of kind of stance. And Athena fits that mold better than Poseidon. Something that a lot of people take uh, for granted is Athens is not on the actual uh, Mediterranean Sea. It's about a mile inland. Mm-hmm. It's Piraeus is their actual, that was the city that they took control over. And that's where their port is. So it, it makes sense for them to at first pick Athena, and then later on, they probably changed the myth a little bit between the, the fight between Athena and um, Poseidon to get his blessing as well, because they didn't want to slight the god. And then they also, in a nutshell, use that as a way to justify the, the reason why women don't have the same rights as them. Because if you recall in that myth, they make it so the women outvoted the men, and that's why they picked Athena. So then Poseidon demanded that women no longer had the chance to vote for anything. So in one quick myth there, they've summed up why women can't vote why men are ruling everything and why they can get uh, these easy victories at sea and why they're able to survive. Yeah, they covered a lot of theological ground yeah. right there. It's 
it's insane. It, it, once you really start getting into the the propaganda machine that is Athens, you kind of start to wonder, you know, how much was influenced by it. I didn't know that's why women in Athens couldn't vote. That's not in versions of the myths that I've seen. So no, I I looked up multiple versions of the myth, and that isn't in any of them. So that's quite interesting. Yeah, that that's that's really that's really really interesting actually, especially for a city where their patron god is a woman, and yet the women can't vote. But it's important to remember, though, that in all of their myths, they make sure that she distances herself from women. So in the Oristia, she defers and claims to be more so um, a man. She prefers the company of men. So they kind of grappled with that psyche a bit. And they, again, used perfect myths and plays to get that balance out there to explain their rationale for it. She's She's a woman that other than one myth in which Hephaestus tried to rape her, there's no real attraction from other gods. Whereas, you know, Artemis is another virgin as well, um, but Artemis has other run-ins. Yeah, she has a lot of suitors after yeah. her, Whereas, uh, as opposed to Athena. Who, Athena, just Hephaestus. Who yeah, has, has the has one that, Hephaestus run-in. And, that awkward. Uh, and he's he's virtually considered harmless amongst yeah. the gods. Like, oh, it's Hephaestus. The awkward where he uh, ejaculated on her thigh kind of thing. Yeah. But other than that, there's no actual real miss in which she is pursued so she's almost like she is a woman but at the same time because she didn't have a mother because she didn't wasn't born in the normal way she is more of zeus uh of a male mm-hmm. she's got more masculine traits yeah. Yes. yeah and that that's probably why they had her train the heroes mm. she going back to something we said in our athena episode where charlotte you mentioned that she was Zeus's favorite. Maybe this is why she wasn't a man, so she couldn't overthrow him. But she had a lot of good, positive, masculine traits. She wasn't overly feminine, right? Right. But she wasn't masculine enough to be she a man. A to ma- be an she wasn't a threat to him and his power. Yeah, she wasn't an actual man, so she couldn't overthrow him. She wasn't his son, so therefore the prophecy couldn't be fulfilled. She's like his perfect child, right? Yeah, yeah. She she fits a she. she yeah, she fills a lot of slots that Zeus needs. Yeah. So <laughs> Zeus is all about checking those boxes. And she's she's also <laughs> pro Zeus. She's always yeah. on. She's usually on his side yep. and agrees with him on everything and tries to help him out. She's the one that inspired him to uh, fight back against Typhon because mm-hmm. he was ready to throw in the towel. Like, uh, yeah. nothing I can do against yeah. this. This is too much. And she pep talked him into cowboying up and handling the situation. <laughs> So I know some scholars have thought as well that the centaur marquee, which your boy Theseus, who is a mythical king of Athens, won against the centaurs. And this could be a representation of of Athens fighting the Persians. And there's bits on the Parthenon to show this. And so because the Athenians use the Minotaur as a way to smear the Minoans, do you think that the sort of savagery of the centaurs is their way of smearing the Persians? I mean... Most likely, because uh, they, they loved to make sure that everyone knew that that area of the world was not the, the civilized world. Yeah, it was barbaric uh, and chaotic and yeah. uncivilized. I mean, don't get me wrong. They, you could see it in a lot of their, their authors like Herodotus. They all had great respect for the great king, but they also couldn't understand how someone would freely give up their, their freedoms like that the Greeks so cherished. So they still looked down upon them, even if they, they spoke the the barbaric tongue so they definitely made i don't know if it's necessarily about the persians but it is a pretty a pretty convincing argument i haven't seen very many flaws in it so it's tough to say yeah i agree 
And because of the Greco-Persian Wars, Athens also charged some other states protection and they led the Delian League. So Athena is kind of the perfect bargaining tool. But if you need to rattle off your list of accolades, having your patron goddess represent strategy, wisdom and leadership is is kind of perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they also they used her shrine and her temple as a way of funding the the war. So that was actually Pericles' main uh, plan for that the war is they were every time they got the the donations they put it in there and they said that the Spartans wouldn't be able to outlast them. Um, obviously that was incorrect because they ended up losing the wars because um, they had no real game plan. But they had I think they had I think it was seven thousand. I don't know what their actual uh, currency was, uh, but whereas uh, that was as their reserve to where they could just melt down stuff. So they used these shrines and these temples as almost like a bank. They didn't see it as blasphemy to take these gold pieces and melt them down to, to spend it. It was more of a bank. As long as you repay it after victory, it's okay. So she was the perfect the perfect stateswoman for them in a nutshell to go and move the temple of the Delian League where they donated it, they put it there, she protected it, and it gave them the the holy justification to do so. I remember playing um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey and just robbing all the temples for gold pieces. <laughs> you and me both. I love that game. <laughs> mm. It's my favorite one just because of the general Greekness of it. And you got to play a female hero in it. Yep. So I think she was, inf- That's why she was he infinitely the cooler one. <laughs> and Athena also appears in fights against wars, sort of defending the state of Greece from outside, which we sort of see in the war against Troy. Even though her reasons were more about her own personal pride because Paris didn't give her the apple rather than defending Greece, she's still sort of protector of Greece against outside problems. And it kind of goes with what you said about her temple being where the money from the Delian League went. Right. It was actually so something else that's kind of cool about her. They, they left the temple to her when they abandoned it, but they had this wooden statue of her that was the only thing that they actually took when they took their their city and left when uh, Persia sacked the city. So they even though they left her temple to be destroyed, there was a holier statue of wood, which is weird to me that that's more holy than gold, but it, it makes sense if you uh, need to run real quick. So something that's easily mobile. So they, they were able to still save face with her and that's why they, they didn't give up on it. So they were, again, the ultimate propaganda machines. They know how to use myths how to use religion to influence not only their people but their allies and more some of our politicians could do with that level of propaganda now (laughs) that's fair (laughs) we've got a couple of punishment myths to talk about with athena i know charlotte's got one and dustin you've got one as well haven't you yes yes. to explore athena as punishing goddess is one of the many things that she does her nasty side yes her very nasty side yes my story is of meropis who was a young girl who lived on the island of cos with her father eumelus probably completely butchered that and her two siblings one was a brother called agron and the sister's name was vissa from the website I looked up. The family had a reputation on the island for disrespecting the gods. They were said to have treated people on the island poorly as well. They must have been farmers because one of the goddesses they deemed worthy of worshipping was Hestia, 
although Wikipedia said that they worshipped Gaia, because either way, they worshipped the goddess that gave them bountiful harvest. They rejected all other gods and kept themselves to themselves, excluding themselves from the community. They refused to participate in any religious celebration. And when invited to take part, Agron wouldn't only decline the offer, he would scorn the gods for good measure. He declined celebrating Athena as she had light eyes and his daughter's eyes were dark. He declined celebrating feasts of Artemis, stating he couldn't celebrate a goddess who could walk through the woods in the dead of night. And lastly, he declined celebrating Hermes as the family would not praise a god that was a thief. Naturally, the gods were insulted by this and not ones to take the offence lying down. Athena and Artemis transformed into beautiful women and Hermes into a shepherd. They appeared in front of the family home. Once there, Hermes, in disguise, invited Eumelus and Agron to follow him to the feast that the shepherd had prepared for Hermes and requested that Merapis would lead the women to the sacred forest of Athena and Artemis. When Merapis heard this, she became frustrated and began to assault Athena, which resulted in the goddess turning her into an owl. Her sister was turned into a seagull by Artemis, and when Agron tried to attack Hermes, the god quickly transformed the unfaithful man into another bird named a Charidarius. So just a few, a few punishments there. That's not just Athena, though. That's all three of them. All three of them got, got a bit angry, got a bit salty there. Yeah. Well, that's typical when you encounter a Greek deity as a human. <laughs> Usually, that's kind of the basis of our show is that if a human comes across an Olympian, it's usually not going to turn out very well for the human. It's not going to end well, is it? Yeah, let alone if you insult them. That's just doubling your trouble. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that Athena chose to turn her into an owl. It's not only has she transformed her into something, but she's transformed her into her own symbol. It's like a double insult. That's that's a very valid point. Yes. <laughs> just they love pouring, the, pouring salt in the wound. They love tongue in cheek. Right? They, they really do. They really do. <laughs> Dustin, what's your Athena story? Well, I was going to discuss Medusa. Mm -hmm. Now, I know there's a couple, there's a couple versions, as with all myths, there's a few versions, but I'll briefly go over both of them. The first one is that Medusa was a maiden in the temple of Athena, and she was seduced by Poseidon, and they ended up having coitus in the temple, which upset Athena. That's the PG usually the pg version that everyone kind of hears the real version is that poseidon was bitter about athena being chosen as you know the the patron for athens and he thought well what better way to kind of get my jab in than to defile one of her you know most prominent maidens in her own temple so he forced himself upon her and you know, the cult of Athena, you know, the maidens, they're very up on keeping their virginity. Mm -hmm. So Poseidon robbed that from her. Now, in both versions, Athena does the same thing. She punishes Medusa, mainly because, I mean, there's not a lot she can do to Poseidon. Poseidon's a higher ranking deity than her. And, you know, he's pretty powerful. He's the brother of Zeus. There's not a lot she can do. But she's still, it's kind of unnecessary for her to take out the punishment on Medusa because she's essentially a victim in all this. Well, her punishment is she turns into a Gorgon. Now, 
the most popular view of a Gorgon, as we discussed in uh, one of our, I think it was the Perseus episode, the most popular depiction is kind of a serpentine snake body. And then she has a bunch of snakes for heads. She turns people to stone. But in actual Greek mythology, the Gorgons were much, much more hideous than that. Now, they, their heads were entwined with horny scales of serpents. But then they had big tusks like hogs, bronze hands, and wings of gold, which they flew on. So that's a lot more strange things combined than just, you know, a serpentine body and snakes for, for hair. So she transformed this beautiful young maiden who was, who was a faithful worshiper of hers into this hideous creature. And that's not all. That's, it doesn't stop there. So later on, a hero named Perseus is born. He's a, he's a son of Zeus. And in order to stop his mom from marrying a king she doesn't want to marry, he is given the task of hunting down the Gorgons, mainly Medusa, and decapitate, bring, bringing their head back. Well, Athena assists, she's like the first to assist him with this. She gives him a shield that is mirrored so he can use the reflection to not turn to stone. And yeah, she just lets Medusa live out this horrible life of being this monster. And then I guess you can consider it an act of mercy. She finally has Perseus on her down, but some people will see it as an act of mercy. Um, I know that there are people that are feminists that believe that she did it as a way of protecting her. And then, yeah, I've read this uh, too. So yeah. the, the one thing that I will say against that, which I, if that's what you believe, I mean, if that's where you find strength, I'm happy for you. But the, the one thing I will say is in ancient Greece, any type of defilement of your body. So it, that that will ruin your afterlife so she not only was cursed in life she officially because they take her head and they put it on top of or on the front of a shield her soul is in the underworld without a head technically because she cannot until it is properly buried she yep. cannot have that she also has to relive that death every single day according to homer so she helps her get punished in life and then is eternally damned so that she could have a better weapon to protect the gods there. I just don't see it. Um, I, sorry. I just can't. It, it's just kind of, it, it's just kind of downtrodden and yeah. dreary all around yeah. for, for poor Medusa. Yeah. But again, this is, this is a, this isn't actually technically Athena. This is Minerva, uh, this mm. version of Athena. This is not the, the Greek version. This is Ovid's telling. Yep. Well, I did hear that. I did hear that by, making her this hideous monster and someone who could turn men to stone at a hundred paces would protect her from being raped again, being defiled again. But I don't know if I believe that because if she was going to protect her in such a way, why did she help Perseus kill her? There's the rub. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of a, I guess a double-edged sword of punishment. Yeah. If you really delve into it and look at it it, yeah it's just a it's a a raw deal which is what most mortals get (laughs) when they're dealing with the olympians why do you guys think that athena is so associated with punishment myths and from what i've understood with her most of the people that she's punishing have offended the gods in some way so i mean like my first example is arachne right i know she kind of offended athena because she's said that she's best than Athena at something right. and she refuses to give tribute to Athena. Yeah. But I feel like Athena almost gives her a fair shot with a tapestry contest. I feel like she punishes her more because of the actual themes of the tapestry. Yeah. Yeah. Hubris ha- was definitely a big part. Yeah. Hubris is usually the downfall of everybody, but Arachne. Yeah. 
the thing she chose, I mean, I, I can't really say it, the outcome would have been any different had she done something else and still beaten Athena. But for her choosing what she chose to uh, to weave in there, yeah. that definitely didn't win her any brownie points. But again, I believe that that's Ovid as well. So that's it an is important. Yeah. So that's another important thing is that there was this big rivalry between the Greeks and the Romans. The Romans couldn't come to terms with the fact that the Greeks influenced so much of their culture. So by having these myths that attacked the very essence of what it was to be Greek and Athenian, they are showing that their Mars was better and their the Greeks... Uh, belief that athena was this perfect patron is flawed so it, they have their own propaganda machine the the greeks are used tragedy whereas the romans use satire so just... well said yeah that would definitely explain actually like the story of arachne we've discussed her punishment of, of medusa as well why do you think that she actually chose to punish medusa because if if it wasn't <laughs> consenting and she knows why poseidon's done it could she not have but just didn't Dustin mention that she couldn't really take it out on Poseidon? Poseidon would be, you know, he's higher up than her. He's he's stronger than her, presumably. Could she have not just let it go? Uh, Olympians aren't one to let things go. Usually, <laughs> they, they 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 have to get something out of it, one way or the one way or the other, and they can't just sit idly by. You know, if you live forever. You think you would learn to let stuff go, but nope. that's that's not. That's not in their repertoire. They they have to have vengeance or some form of like dowry or you know payment to feel vindicated. But yeah, they usually don't let stuff slide. <laughs> I don't know why. That's just I guess it's a authority thing. Right. But so I mean, the only thing that I can come up with is not only is it obviously attacking Athena for the Romans, but it gives you also a story that kind of explains something for the Romans too. The Romans had priestesses for Hestia, who if they were, if they were fornicated, uh, raped, anything like that, they and the person who did it were both killed in a heinous way. And this was probably their way of kind of continuing that myth, uh, making sure that everyone knows, you know, don't rape the actual priestess at the altar because not only will your life be doomed, but so will theirs. So it's probably just that um, the Roman influences, it gives us a little bit of a snapshot into their culture and their world. Well, I was going to ask, could it be due to the treatment and view of women in this time? Definitely. Oh yeah. 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 No doubt about that. If you think that the reason that Athena punishes Medusa more so is a Roman thing, does that explain then potentially why the rape of Cassandra in Athena's temple by Ajax is different? Because in that case, she punishes Ajax and not Cassandra. So I don't know if she respected that Cassandra was Apollo's because her fate, because Cassandra's fate was already written with what would happen to her after she went back with Agamemnon. Because it's a very different reaction to the same exactly. thing. Well done. Yeah, that's, yes. that's exactly where it is. So like I said, you can see the different character between the myths. You can tell who's writing it just by the, the language of how she reacts. Whereas in Homer and all of these other little plays that continue on with the, the Trojan Wars, she's this 
Yes, she makes some mistakes with Odysseus. He does get a little bit mad at her when she says, you know, I mean, what's 20 years, you know, when he's like, I mean, what's 20 years? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm mortal. 20 yeah. years is a lot. Yeah. You so, know, to her, that's nothing. But that, that's her biggest flaw is, you know, she doesn't understand time for a mortal, but she never does anything out of the ordinary. She's usually a just and righteous goddess for the Greeks and the Romans, they didn't care because their main patron god for the war is um mars who is a lot cooler than aries is he's not the bumbling fool for them so aries is yeah (laughs) we were discussing that earlier today actually trying to compare aries and athena as as war gods and goddesses and just that the romans loved mars so much more and he was cooler yeah also ajax sorry ajax rejected athena's help in the war so could part of it be that she's actually prideful and she's it's more her pride she's punishing him for than avenging cassandra uh the odyssey was pretty specific that it was because of the rape at the altar maybe as well because ajax was human so he's easier to punish oh yeah she wasn't about to punish poseidon no yeah that's that treading in dangerous territory there because the last thing the olympians want is a war in olympus so they try to nip that stuff in the butt pretty quick but typically, though, I mean, we see it with the myth of the, the founding of Athens that um, she's willing to go toe to toe with Poseidon and Zeus usually intervenes. Yeah, so she's not scared of Poseidon she's not, by yeah. any means in Greek mythology. It's so. more of a respect probably for yeah. Zeus than it is fear for Poseidon. But yeah, I don't think that the, the Greek version, because even the, the earliest references to Medusa is she was there all along for the Greeks. This is more of a newer telling of medusa being changed she was one of the three original sisters yep yeah which by the way perseus did not ride pegasus he did not no he did not (laughs) i've just i've just listened to your your ones about him actually so mad <laughs> i know everyone everyone just assumes perseus because that clash of the titans movie yeah <laughs> you would assume i assumed for a while bellerophon yeah <laughs> i have to admit i only learned about bellerophon in the last year or so i didn't even know he existed yeah. so yeah, you know. kind of backed us into a corner there you know because like our fans want to hear about him and i just i can't break it to him that he's not that cool <laughs> I'm, I'm too deep you are because every episode he gets brought up yep. bellerophon. <laughs> that hype train is just <laughs> off the rails right now <laughs> Speaking of Bellerophon, he is one of the many heroes that Athena helps as a, a patron of heroes. Mm-hmm. Yep, which is which is odd considering his name, how he got his name. Usually, that's not right. looked upon too highly, but I guess he was an exception. I don't. I'm not really sure how that crosses over, but <laughs> how did he get his name? I don't actually know. Uh, uh, Belair. Uh, Belair was actually a king that Bellerophon killed because I guess he was getting a little flirtatious with the king's wife and the king called him out on it. And it was and it was self-defense, but he still killed a king that he was visiting. You know, he was offered hospitality by this king and he ended up killing him. So Blair means king slayer, killer of Blair. So Bellerophon, that's how he got his name. So uh, yeah, he did the law of hospitality. He didn't follow very well. And usually Usually that doesn't go over very well with the Olympians, but it's a bit of a Jamie Lannister then. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> if Jamie Lannister rode Pegasus. Yep. Yep. <laughs> if he rode Pegasus. <laughs> if he rode Pegasus. <laughs> so 
the other hero I really want to talk to you about um, is Jason. And so Athena helped Argus build the Argo. She sort of gave him the inspiration, I believe, of how they should go about building the ship because it's very different to any ship built before. But she didn't help, as far as I know, she didn't help Jason on the journey at all. Well, I mean, she didn't really need to. He got, they had Medea. Yeah, he got Medea. He got all these crazy heroes that were way better than than him he just yeah he's, he, the man's famous for having supported yeah, by everybody yeah else. And athena may not have helped jason directly but a lot of the heroes under his uh you know under his sail were probably helped by him mm. so maybe it's a just a kind of an olive branch thing you know i'm i'm helping him so the, automatically it gives jason a leg up but yeah Medea's like probably one of the most badass people in greek mythology yeah he had hers so <laughs> Well, yeah, but that was kind of his fault too. It was. Do you think that maybe she didn't really think much of Jason? Because Jason, we know that that Hera loved Jason, but maybe Athena kind of realized that he was a buster, just a bit not Yeah, (laughs) that very well could be the case. I mean, like, all right, you're struggling a little bit too hard on this uh, this journey with Heracles, Theseus, (laughs) and sometimes the father of Achilles. Like, I I don't know how you fail. I don't man, either. Man was awful. Also had Castor and Pollux. Yeah, I had Castor and Pollux, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't. He was he was out of his league yeah. <laughs> with all those with all those uh, all the, the rest of the cast. <laughs> he feels like very much a supporting member of a really awesome cast, but yeah, he's the one who is the the main player. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting how that works. <laughs> It's almost no, like someone you... said, "Oh, go on, you can lead this team now. You you give him a go. Give your brother a go." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how he gets put in charge of all those guys because if you were like ranking them, he'd probably be close to the bottom of that totem pole. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. it is what it is. <laughs> I like to think it's because she doesn't think that Jason was very heroic, and so you're you're probably right. I can't find any fault in that. <laughs> I know both of your feelings about about Jason. You don't think too much of him. <laughs> no, <laughs> she definitely seems to help in situations that aren't about brute strength, where it it's like there's a monster. And you could use brute strength, but usually there's a better method that requires a bit of thought. Say like Heracles with the Hydra. He could have, he tried brute strength. He could have kept trying brute strength, but it just, it didn't work or it would have taken a long time. And she was the one who gave him the idea of how to go about, about killing it. And with um, oh Perseus and Medusa, she was the one who gave him the idea she gave him the shield and she was the one who sort of gave him the idea of how to do it so wing sandals too don't forget that yes did she well, give him the knapsack or was that hermes she's the reason why hermes did it though he's just he just does what everyone tells him yeah yeah her- message boy. <laughs> yeah that's true Hermes just along for the ride yeah pretty much yeah. and she helps um achilles as well yep again that's probably more of a pride thing against troy rather than yeah, that's also the well. The, well, that's the difference between her and Ares too. Is she uses strategy? Ares Ares represents more just wild bloodlust and barbarism. Athena is the more refined, you know, strategist. You know, use cunning instead of force and, and things of that nature. So that further solidifies that title of her being the goddess of wisdom and strategy as well. So I just realized something listening to your episodes about Jason that. Philoctetes in the Hercules film yeah. is more like Chiron. Or Ch- 
Kiron, I'm not sure how Kiron, you pronounce yeah. it, but looking at all of the heroes that he mentions that he's trained, like like Hillies for a start, yeah. another one of the ways that Disney is sort of mashed up and butchered <laughs> Greek mythology. <Yeah. laughs> Threw a lot together, didn't it? They couldn't bring themselves in to make uh, Danny DeVito. Or, uh, is it Danny DeVito? Yeah. Yeah. Danny DeVito. yeah. They couldn't make him a centaur. They had to make him a satyr. I'd <laughs> <laughs> throw in a short joke on them. Yep. <laughs> Still love the film, though. Still think yeah. it's brilliant, <laughs> as as wrong as it is. Well, you know, a lot of Greek mythology is not really oriented for ch- children. <laughs> no, that's true. So, so they had to tone <laughs> no. it down quite a bit. <laughs> I realized that sort of because as, as I liked it when I was a kid. And I had very tame versions and then you become an adult and it's like, oh, there's so much rape and incest and stuff like that. I, this was not in the kids version. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, when, when we were little, that's the kind of the books we started with. And we're like, oh man, all these gods are really cool. But then when you get older and hear the real <laughs> stuff, you're like, mm, maybe, <laughs> maybe they're kind of sketchy. <laughs> it makes them all human though. Oh Yeah. So can we talk about Athena as a feminist icon? It depends on which Athena. Uh, that is Are true. We Minerva or Athena? Well, I sort of kind of a bit of everything, I suppose, because I've read that people think she's a good feminist icon because she's a very strong female goddess. But I've also read that people think of her as a little bit of a patriarchal sellout. And like the Medusa, okay, you're saying that's Minerva, but that's one big, for most people who don't really know the difference, looking at her and her, the way she's from Medusa, even if she turned her into a Gorgon to protect her from rape, she still then lets Perseus kill her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both, both versions. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to really rally behind as a feminist icon in the sense that in the Greek version, she almost like rejects her womanhood essentially she she wants to be looked at more i i don't know it's 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 kind of it's kind of dicey territory to really determine what exactly you know her motives would be as a feminist icon if because it was a patriarchal society so they're gonna you know written by men most likely they're gonna make her more masculine and that's Mm -hmm. so it's kind of it's kind of hard to gauge i'd say trying to look at her from 21st century eyes i think there's you can look at sort of actions both ways Uh, another thing i wanted to bring up was orestes when because he kills his Mm mum defending his dad and apparently clytemnestra kills agamemnon because of i can't even i can't i can pronounce it the sacrifice of ifigna yeah their daughter ifigna it seems like a bit of a weak excuse and she's moved on she's in power she has a new lover and suddenly Agamemnon comes back with with his side piece it just seems a bit like was that maybe more why rather than it being a genuine reason like is Clyde did Clytemnestra kill Agamemnon because of Ifigna or it was probably a combination of both because I'm sure she was still not happy about was it their oldest daughter was she the oldest daughter yeah Iphigenia yeah Yeah. so having (laughs) unbeknownst to her her oldest daughter just kind of snatched up and burned as a sacrifice so she's probably still bitter about because that was immediately before agamemnon left mm. gone for 10 years gone for 10 years comes back and he's got this you know younger 
Priestescal as a side piece. So it, it might have just been the straw that broke the camel's back. And she was already, I think she already had the plan in motion because she had the lover. Yeah. So I think she has already had it set in her mind. Like when he gets back, I'm taking him out. Yeah. Cause I got, I got this new man. He's living with me. We're going to take him out as soon as he gets back. So I think the wheels were already in motion after Ephigenia was sacrificed. Cause it explains more why she would, sorry, I was gonna say it explains more why she would defend Orestes because I don't feel Clytemnestra has a good enough excuse to kill Agamemnon. I think Agamemnon's horrible and probably deserves it, but. But she's not going to kill Agamemnon before she has a new lover because in ancient times, if you didn't have a husband, if she killed her husband, she would have been left without anything. So she waited till she got a new lover. And then when she knew that that was all set up, she had more of a future after Agamemnon died. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, that tracks. I know that in the quote, it, Athena actually says that there was no mother who gave me birth and in all things except for marriage wholeheartedly I'm for the male and entirely on the father's side and she will not award great honor to the death of a woman who killed her husband and she was very much she wanted Orestes to to, to get off his father and she yeah. felt like that was the right thing to do yeah yeah because everything of worth comes from the father if you are believing this well yeah and you know back in back in those times that's kind of how it went as well you know the men inherited everything and the women were just the wives or, you know, that's how they looked at it back then. That was their kind of societal terms. Especially because this is a, this is a play for ancient Greeks. So for ancient Athens itself. So this is their explanations. Again, um, the propaganda machine for them. This is them explaining, like I said, why women can't vote, why they can't Mm -hmm. do all these other things. Cause something else to keep in mind if a father dies with just a daughter the daughter cannot be the heir to his possessions unless that daughter marries his closest of kin and then they inherit it so this was a a very dangerous um idea for the ancient greeks to grapple with that a a woman would want to kill the husband they had to find a, a myth that gave their patron deity the 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 voice to tell them if you do this you're going to be damned you're not going to get the the proper punishments the furies won't even back you now Mm. that athena has come yeah they needed a deterrent yeah and also with you know you see it in medea's story where she gets you know basically tossed aside by jason he gets a young lover and yes there's also mental health around these stories but she then ends up killing their children because otherwise she had nothing so she's going to leave him with nothing right yep one thing i will say and i'll preface this with you know if you find the strength in this uh, these types of myths then be my guest i would say to people who are looking at greek mythology for feminist icons i i wouldn't i wouldn't look at it at all because you're going to be looking at a a society that didn't care about women in that way so you're not going to find these types of myths that are going to empower you i would look at other mythologies because this is going to be a myth in which the women is typically the damsel in distress that's kidnapped that's turned into a monster that is her her whole life is in shambles just because she was pretty this isn't something where they're going to give you a, a happy ending as a female character and I mean, I would say the same thing to men too. Don't go look into Greek mythology for um, strength as a, a good male role model. You're not <laughs> going to find those types of people. That's not what these myths were for. No, they were as an explanation. So 
I don't think explanations and warnings. Yeah, explanations and warnings. I don't think Athena or Minerva are going to be a good female empowerment because they make Athena completely disregard her feminine side. Other than the the aspects of the sewing and the weaving, she doesn't do anything that is actually feminine. She continually goes into battle. That's not feminine. She leads heroes into war. That's not feminine. Everything about her is the anti-female in a female's body and i don't know why they picked her why they immersed her in that way but she completely turns away from the women i would think about weaving sorry charlotte no i would just say like as a devil's advocate i don't particularly have an opinion on her being a feminist icon either way um because i think they are stories and people tend to try and look at these stories into far more depth like these are stories from so long ago we can't judge them with you know our eyes now but since when did being a feminist mean being having to be nice to everyone maybe she's just a dickhead (laughs) (laughs) i mean that very well could be the case uh but at the same time you know she does seem you know like it was mentioned earlier she will always side with the husband or the father Mm. and things of that nature so i mean and her literal first establishment of democracy she establishes that women don't have the same rights as a father so mm. i mean she is a dickhead i'll give you that <laughs> which you can make that argument about all of them <laughs> or though you can you can pave the way for the future and for future generations and also be a bit of a dick at the same time right. yeah yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> i do just want to talk about weaving really quickly because you've got okay so you've got penelope and she's skilled in handicrafts and I get the impression that Athena likes her and sort of sees her as a good match for someone who is a favorite of hers, like being Odysseus. And then you've got Arachne. And again, I know the different like Athena Minerva, but Arachne doesn't respect the gods and she's punished. And I feel like Athena respects Penelope using the weaving and the unweaving of, I can't remember what it is that she's, the tapestry of Mm -hmm. some kind. um, So refuse to pick a new husband, almost like a military strategy. And I feel like Athena gets behind that, whereas Arachne uses her weaving. It's a military strategy also, but it's a way to challenge the gods. It's like she kind of respects the intentions sometimes behind it. Well, well, that's the difference is uh, Penelope never claimed she was better than Athena at weaving. She was just good at weaving, but she never, you know, tried to put herself above a god or goddess in any kind of regard like arachne i don't know if arachne i can't remember if she straight up was like i can weave better than athena or if everyone else was like oh she can weave better than athena she said it. yeah, yeah she, she said athena it. was the old woman yeah yeah so then that's also the difference is that there was uh penelope yeah penelope was humble she didn't boast that she was better than a god or goddess at what she was doing and penelope was saving herself for her husband yes yeah which is so she kind of pure she, and yeah she she fit the mold better than arachne did arachne was more rebellious and oh i am the best at this so therefore she had to be i'd, I'd also say that so you get again this is one of those things where you get to see the the cool this is the part that excites me you get to see the the different cultures so yep. for instance the, the the spinning the tapestry throughout the entire for uh the odyssey the the spinning of the weaves um weaving through the, those are all metaphors also for for lying and for misleading your opponent so throughout the entire um odyssey athena gets really excited whenever odysseus 
tells a fantastic lie because that's what she thinks a good strategy is. That's what the Greeks thought. Because for them, it wasn't this all-out war, you know, you just throw a haymaker and you'll take losses because they didn't have the same type of population that Rome did. Then we go over to Minerva and the Arachne thing. This is a direct attack on the Greeks. I talked about that a little bit ago. But Mm. if we look into the comparison of Mars versus Minerva, so the, the, the Romans had this weird thing where anytime they lost in battle due to treachery, they felt that that was not manlike. So we see it with the, the way that they came to terms with how Hannibal consistently destroyed their, their armies in battle. They always said, yeah, but you had to use these little tech or these tactics. You didn't fight us fair, fair and square. So you would see this from time to time in a lot of their myths. This, this is their way of saying that, you know, the yes, Minerva and Athena were great at lies, but I mean, in the end, look at how this, how she behaves. She doesn't behave like a typical deity should. This isn't how we worship our gods. And they even coined the term, uh, uh, be careful of Greeks bearing gifts, you know? So for them, the Greeks were these treacherous uh, soldiers who relied on sabotage sabotage. and deception, espionage, and not just brute force, meet me on the battlefield, knuckle up. And they are more of the, because they wanted their, their people to, do manly things so they would have the or just heroic things and even in defeat they would have the myths of characters who would hold their hands over flames to to hold off a king to show off their their uh their heroic war and that's more of an aspect of the different types of units they used in war the legionnaire legionnaires they're allowed to have heroic characters and warriors because they were a more fluid type of fighting style whereas the phalanx is what everybody does their job everybody does not like you can't have a hero because the phalanx is relying on the person to your left to protect you and the person on your right has the spear and everybody marches in unison if one person goes gets out of tune the whole uh formation is destroyed whereas with the the ancient romans there's you know you can have a, a bit of uh um, someone going cavalier and going off the cuff because it, it's a more fluid and more I, I guess I, I can't think of what word I'm looking at. Just a, a better unit that can allow more creativity and more freedom. So the the myths themselves are more of a like a, a capture of what their culture was and what they envisioned was the perfect unit and the perfect soldier. You definitely taught mm-hmm. us a lot today. <laughs> yeah. <Sorry. laughs> Before you guys go, I just have a few quick questions for you. Not sure. about Athena, but just some sort of fun questions to end the episode. Fire away. So which of the Olympians do you both see yourself as? Justin's pan. <laughs> I'm not pan. <laughs> um, I don't know because they're all they're all kind of scumbags so i don't really don't want to relate to any of them he's all of them really it's, it's <laughs> i'm a culmination <laughs> <laughs> um i i would probably have to say hades because he's the one that kind of keeps to himself the most just kind of hangs out in the underworld you know just kind of mind his own business the, the, that's probably who i'd correlate the most to and he loves halloween so. and I, I like halloween so there we go he likes dead things <laughs> <laughs> What about you, bro? 
I mean, unfortunately, I'd probably be like Apollo or like, I think I'm dope and I'm constantly put in my place, you know, like that would be me. That's fair. Yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> if you end up being arrested, which of the Olympians is your one phone call? I'm probably calling Hermes because he showed in infancy that he was a hell of a lawyer. So <laughs> he might get me out of my jam. Yeah. yeah. And we talked about it in the, uh, the Oristai episode that Apollo is the worst lawyer. So don't call Apollo. Yeah. His arguments were awful. Yeah. And he like, lost, he lost to a baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he literally was outwitted by a one day old baby. Yeah. He was so. outwitted by a baby. Yeah. <laughs> I'd go with Athena. Um, not Minerva, Athena. I would take her because I mean she's always she's always got your back. That's true. She is down to ride. Yep. Except and you're Jason. a man, so she'd help you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See? Yeah. <laughs> Which Olympian would you want as your wingman slash wing woman? Hermes. <laughs> I'm picking him first this time. You're picking Hermes? Yeah, I, Hermes I, is always down to ride, you know? I know, but I think I mean if we're talking wingman, I'd probably go Aphrodite. Maybe Eros. Oh yeah, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, so, so, someone who could who could teach you some game. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Everdeen didn't really teach game. She just kidnapped Helen. She didn't even, like. She didn't even fulfill her end of the bargain. She I guess goes, that's a fair point. And she usually used like potions yeah. and stuff. She, she wasn't. She yeah. Didn't fulfill her end of the bargain. She goes, all right. So as part of my bargain, um, I kidnapped her for you. Good luck. Yeah, good luck with the war coming. Yeah, at least you got that's those, fair. That's least, fair. I guess Aphrodite would not be a good no, choice. So I guess like, Eros. At least you got those walls, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd probably go with Eros. Yeah. Okay, and final question. Which hero slash demigod slash god would you trade the other one of you in for? I'd pan. I'd trade him for pan. <laughs> You would too. He didn't even hesitate with that question. Okay. He didn't. He, you guys don't understand how much he, he talks about pain. Pan. <laughs> pan, Pan's just a wild boy. He just he's he doesn't fit the typical mold because he's, he's he's you know he's a rustic deity, so he's savage and likes to drink and party with, with goats. <laughs> with goats. <laughs> I don't know. Trade you in for I, you know what? I I'd, I'd, I'd probably have to pick Theseus. Yeah, you would. Matthew. He, he picks like the cheesiest hero. What do you mean? The che- wouldn't wouldn't Heracles be the cheesiest? Yeah, but I mean, at least he's actually. You know what? I trade you in for Bellerophon. We just ride around Pegasus exactly. all day. What do you think about that? There you go. <laughs> Get a little sidecar for Pegasus, and you can yeah. sit in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like a side carriage. Oh man, that would be awesome. And it'd have wings too, yeah. just to match. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't do anything. Just has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just just aesthetic. Yep. Bellerophon, then. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us, guys. It's been so much fun. It has been fun. Thank you for having us on. You're welcome. Hopefully you'll come and hang out with us again. Oh, I'm sure we will. Yep. Good. I'll be in touch. It's been so much fun. Thanks, guys. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Follow us on Instagram at Demythifying the Podcast for more Olympus-based content. And if you're liking what we're doing, please rate us and subscribe. See you again next time. She's been Charlotte. Goodbye. I've been Lauren. We were joined by Neil and Dustin. And together, we've all been demythifying. <laughs>